Did you know that nearly nine out of 10 home buyers say they'd use a buyer's agent when purchasing a home again? Buyer representation really matters when there's 111 to-dos. Visit Realtor.com slash Buyer Agent Toolkit and spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. We think that there's all kinds of new tech every year, and there's really not. It's only about once every 15 to 20 years, a major technology innovation comes to market. And so, Nick, what was the last technology innovation that hit? I think the new one of today is AI. I I disagree, by the way. I think it's going to change a lot (laughs) of that behavior. But that's an example of when you have tech companies that can be nimble. I don't want to build my own mobile device, um, just like I don't want to build my own AI company. But I certainly believe that you fast forward, you're going to have click here to write a listing description that will be integrated via AI. And let's face it, not sexy, but the number one technology that has made the consumer experience better and the agents more efficient in the last 10 years. What do you think it is? Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Belt, Editorial Director of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they learn navigating this ever-changing industry. We may have just gotten back from Gathering of Eagles, but we're not done with events for 2023 yet. This October, we're headed right back to Austin, Texas for Housing Wire Annual, and we want to see you there. We've got a power-packed agenda with content such as our Women of Influence speakers, peak performer playbooks, CEO playbooks, and more to propel your company forward, as well as a bunch of networking events. Because this event is open to real estate executives, mortgage title, and everyone in between, you really have the opportunity to network with people from all across the housing ecosystem. If you want to learn more about the event, or if you're already ready to get registered, head over to housingwire.com on the events tab and you can learn all about it. Not to mention, if you're an HW Plus member, you're going to get 50% off your ticket. So get registered for HW Plus and get registered for the event so we can see you out in Austin. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds in real estate about leadership, business growth, trends, and strategy. I'm your host, Tracy Velt. I'm the Senior Director of Content and Data for HW Media. And today, I would like to welcome two dynamic leaders. Um, we call it Tech Wars, um, the battle between <laughs> Nick Bailey, the CEO of and President of Remax, and Dan Duffy, CEO of United Real Estate Holdings. So welcome. Thanks, Tracy. Uh, tech Wars, really? <laughs> I don't think I'm ready for that this morning. <laughs> oh, Let the games begin. <laughs> Let the games begin. Uh, so we're going to tackle the question about like when and why it makes sense to build buyer partner as your brokerage's um, technology platform evolves. And obviously, you know, to me, this is like business models. There is a uh, value to all of them. Um, and so we'll start by just kind of going through. I'm going to start with Nick because you did both so far, or all three, actually. Um, so go into a little bit about the history with Bouge and, and then where you are today. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having this because I actually think that this is a topic that's uh, super relevant to today. And if I can, I want to give you a little bit of the reason I have a lens that I look through this. 
you know, prior to coming back to Remax, I spent some time uh, leading the C21 brand. But prior to that, I went through the acquisitions of Market Leader to Trulia to Zillow. And there was something that interest that was interesting that I saw create a domino effect in the industry. And that's when Trulia paid $344 million for Market Leader. And all of a sudden, I saw the industry, brands and brokerages say, oh, no, a portal is going to have CRM websites and lead gen, and they bought a product. I then saw other companies, like Arilogy went out and bought Zap for $160 million. I saw Remax, this was prior to me coming back, almost four years ago, go out and spend millions of dollars on acquiring similar type products. But there's something interesting uh, that those are just three examples that people struggled to execute. Because I think in real estate, it's easy to be jack of all trades, master of none. And the idea that are you a tech company or are you not? And I think where we've come to a point now uh, within the Remax organization, we've done some strategic acquisitions of technology products, brought them fully in-house over the past few years. We just announced last year uh, that after a couple years of a launch, that it was, it was not how we wanted it to go. It's not the experience that we wanted our franchisees or our agents to have. And so we removed that asset and we powered with Inside Real Estate to provide a world-class platform. And so I just think that you've got to look at your platforms and decide, is the investment, the time, the lift, how to stay innovative? It's expensive. Technology is hard. And it can sometimes be better to partner on certain things. Okay. And Dan, I know you have a totally different um, opinion on that. So why don't you share with the audience um, your background and, and what you've guys decided to do? Yeah. So prior to this, uh uh, my partners and I built the world's largest Microsoft systems integration and vertical custom software development company. So we have a DNA of a tech company. And a lot what I understand the pain of trying to integrate a technology company. If you look at architecture, uh, just on architectural decisions alone that were made to the two predecessor companies, it can fall, uh, fall down. It looks easy, right? I'm just going to take this functionality and integrate it with this CRM, and it's just going to all magically, deliciously work. Where there's a lot of religious debates in there. You know, what is the architecture? What, you know, how did we build it? How does it talk to each other? So there's a lot of complexity. And I think, you know, just to really extract, because I came from outside the industry, I've been in it for 17 years now, but I came from the tech industry running a technology company. We had 12,000 uh, clients in 48 countries building technology for them in vertical apps. So here's the here's what I saw with all of those acquisitions, Nick, that you just mentioned. The DNA of the brokerage company or the national brand, it's not a technology DNA from the leadership. And integrating that in, if you noticed, most of the talent for most after all those acquisitions were made will hit the door. They'll get their check. They'll hit the door because the culture of the business is not a technology company. So you either have it implicit in how you operate, how you talk, you know, what your work streams are and how you think, or you don't. And just becoming a technology company by buying another business is inherently difficult. But Tracy, I think it's really, the, it's a twofold question because a lot of the people that are listening here are probably smaller brokers, you know, sub 1,000 agents or organizations that have sub 1,000, um, you know, uh, uh, affiliates that are part of it. Nick's in a position, we're in a position, and let's just call it 15 or 20 other other companies are in a position that have the scale to really be afforded the opportunity and the luxury to say, do we build versus buy? 
But at a local broker, 250 agents, 300 agents, you really honestly don't have too much of a choice because the amount of investment. And I pulled some data for you. If you're going to truly build something, you're going to spend 20% of your top line revenue on R&D and building and supporting your product, 20% of your top line revenue. Um, we only spend 10. And so, but because we're focused, we have a hybrid approach. We have certain things that we absolutely are committed to from a proprietary stack perspective, the, the central core, the data warehouse, um, ingesting the MLS data to make certain that we can do things with it, controlling our APIs. We do all of that at the core so that we can flex and we can, we can pivot and we can say, okay, well, that particular functionality, we can, someone built it better, faster, smarter, it's inexpensive, and we can integrate to that. Other things where we want to create points of differentiation, we have the flexibility to be able to build it. You know, whether the industry's done it yet or not, we have the ability to do it. We have a few of those things that have come out of the ground in the last six months. We have a few more that are going to be announced in the fall where they don't exist in any of the technology companies that are out there. So I I think I, I'm not really hellbent on on being, you know, build, 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 because that's that's silly. You have to take a look at at I think fundamentally, I believe that the core, you have to control your destiny. You know, someone sunsets a product, and there was a classic example of this with uh, CoreLogic sunsetting their CRM product and their agent productivity tool with Agent Achieve. They made an announcement one day and said, hey, we're no longer going to be in it. Well, every single customer of theirs had to flip to something else, you know, plus or minus six to nine months later. So I, I just think it provides us at a, as a, at a scale, as a scaled organization, more flexibility. But you have to be very smart. And I would say it's probably more of a little bit of a hybrid. Can you acquire something that's a commodity in certain cases and and or provide short term differentiation and integrate it into your proprietary core? Your cost advantage is massive if you can do it. So, Nick, you have a response to that? I think there are a couple interesting things that Dan said. One, that tech works for him because there's a DNA there of having a true technology company. And I think that's really key to it. But I do agree that we have a philosophy of buy, build, partner. We still have some proprietary items that uh, that we build. Uh, we have some that we purchase and some that we partner on. But I, I will say that here's where I do disagree on the core logic example of people not partnering because the fear of sunsetting a product or uh, they sell a company or they're acquired. Uh, because that cannot be the only reason that you don't partner. Because what can happen is you see some of these products that don't execute well because they can't innovate to keep up where uh, traditional technology is going on the open market. And then their tech dies on the vine. It becomes stale. And I think that is way worse than having a product sunset or changing. And there's also something else that I think in the last 10 years has become fundamental. One, and I talk about this all the time, I do not believe technology will replace a real estate agent. However, I do believe that a real estate agent that doesn't adopt tech will get replaced because there's a fundamental piece of we have to meet the customer where they want to be met. And that is going to involve leveraging some of the technology tools. But what has happened in the last 10 years that I have seen um, in my experience, it was and we had partners come to us, especially during my time at the portals and say, hey, we would love your product. But can you give us that one feature that you won't give anybody else? And it used to be, well, my CRM text has text features, Dan, yours doesn't. And so that's where critical. But we have to look at this is where I differentiate, not just on buy, build, partner, but it's which product. Because a lot of products have become table stakes. I believe IDX agent websites are a prime example. 
It used to be buy our website because of this, buy our website because of this. Anyone can go out and find an agent website provider for five bucks a month. Um, it's a table stakes product. And oh, by the way, all the agents still spending thousands and thousands of dollars on sites, but no one's going to them. It's like putting a property in the MLS with no address. It can be the best listing in town, but if you can't find how to get there, it's not going to matter anyway. And what we're seeing and what we're, you know, philosophy is investing in AI. That was one product that we, we purchased and acquired three years ago um, called First. And it takes 700 public data points. Uh, and it's a great example of differentiation and something that we wanted to own. Uh, and it serves up on a one to three star scale who's most likely to list their home. And it's wildly accurate. And I know there's a lot of debate around AI, but there are components around AI that are, in my opinion, behind a smart CRM, if you will, that drive more lead generation based on consumer behavior today than just having that agent website, you know, with the picture that everybody has, call me for your real estate needs. And so those are the type of things that I don't I think it's a blanket for all. And so I'm giving you a couple of examples of where we say, partner on CRM and website providers because they're going to innovate much faster than we could building it. But then you take a product like First that we can integrate into a partner's product. That then creates some level of differentiation, which has a competitive advantage. But I also uh, will round out these comments by saying, I also think when people are building tech and Dan referenced, well, we have new things coming out in the fall that nobody else has. The competitive advantage with tech on what's new has a shelf life. Whether it's two months, six months, or two years, there will always be a copycat artist. And so you're always chasing your tail sometimes when you're building things. Yeah, and it's interesting. There's there's a the the philosophy is that you always have you're constantly having these, you either commit to it and you say, I'm gonna have these moments of differentiation and the curve, you have differentiation, then it becomes commoditized. Differentiation. And you're rolling out things that other people don't have that are important to the consumer or important to the to the agent. Um, we, you know, we our primary point of competition in our company is our cost advantage, and part of that cost advantage comes from uh, having important elements of our system very cost effectively delivered because of tens of millions of dollars that we've invested in the in the core infrastructure methodically over like a 17 year period. So we now have the luxury to be able to do things at a fraction of the cost that other folks do that when they, when they go to market with something, some of the stuff that Nick was talking about, whether it's AI training your data, machine learning to be able to augment listings, create more intense SEO. And I disagree on one point. I think the consumer facing, especially agent websites, and the ability to, if you control the ability, agent websites are so important to the branding and marketing and exposure of an agent. But what you see today in the marketplace that you can acquire versus what we have that an agent can use to, to do geofencing, to be able to get into a particular neighborhood, claim it, leveraging AI, supplementing, enriching that data, training that data to learn from the content of the listing so that they can go into a neighborhood and say, I want to generate more leads for myself at no cost to them because our websites are provisioned and built in a way that's different than what they can buy off the shelf. So I think there's, you know, the, the really it comes back if you extract above Tracy, if I'm a 200 agent uh, brokerage 
okay, doing a thousand transactions or 2000 transactions a year. I really don't have necessarily the luxury or the capital to be able to say I can have this conversation because it's, it's NA. You don't have it. You're going to do an SSO dashboard. You're going to get, you're going to buy it as cost effectively as you can because it's the conversation is different when Nick and I are having it. Then when a 250 or a thousand agent or a 50 agent firm is having it, they really have no choice. So I, I think it's important that your listeners that I don't know the segmentation of the cohorts of your listening group, but if, if it's all of the CEOs and all of the C-level executives of all of the big companies, then we, then th- this is germane to them and they can actually say, Oh, I like Nick's points. I like Dan's points. All right, let's go this way or that way. Or we'll modify our approach based on something we heard that was insightful or not. But if I'm a if I'm a brokerage out there, um, I really have to. I really don't have that choice. I either partner with someone like Nick or like us, and and then you look upstream and you say, well, are they best positioned to either provide long term competitive advantage? And it's never based on technology. It's typically based on cost, or it's based on some service provision, or some go-to-market strategy, which is outside of technology. Technology, it's this is an agent-centric business. It's a people business and the agents first. So all we're doing to Nick's earlier point is we're empowering those agents and driving their costs down and driving their volumes up. That's the ultimate goal. And whoever has the most flexibility on a national level to be able to do that most adeptly and quickly will prevail. And you have to have the cost advantage so you can give that cost advantage and pass it through to both the consumer and the agent. And so our strategic play here is we were willing to invest tens of millions of dollars into getting a cost advantage that we can pass along to our agents and our brokerages. Um, and so that they can, they can pass along to their consumer ultimately, or they can just even entering into ancillary services and being able to capture the bigger, the bigger TAM in the space at the agent level, at the broker level in a RESPA compliant way, you can't do certain things unless you have a, a degree of control over your technology. And a specific example is the data that's required, the metadata that's required in order to effectuate a high capture ancillary business, uh, whether it's home services or whether it's title or whatever, Certain transaction platforms, if you're buying it from a third party, their their product roadmap is designed to market penetrate, get more customers, and drive margins. And all the mark the cumulative market cap of all the technology companies in our space is a reflection of them extracting dollars from agents and or the consumer, right? That's by definition, billions of dollars of market cap, hundreds of millions of dollars on the backs of agents and on the backs of brokers. I'm not suggesting it's not needs doesn't need to be done. And they're probably in some cases the best equipped to do it, but we need to be as in at the, at the larger company level, we need to be in a position to on behalf of our agents that are affiliated, defend their economics. And because there's pressure coming from a lot of different directions on their, on their businesses and their, their outcomes. And we like being in a position where we have the ability to selectively partner uh, where necessary in a cost-effective way, you know, that pennies on the dollar, be able to deliver real impactful things to agents. And we'll be able to do it forever because we're not dependent on somebody else's core technology. Um, and it's, it's actually increased our nimbleness 
our prior investments have really increased our nimbleness to be able to respond to market markets like we're in today. We've been able to do a number, quite a number of things that we weren't able to do five years ago because our investments hadn't taken root. We hadn't gotten perfectly into the cloud. Uh, the web services weren't mature, but now they are. So now we can tack a lot faster and we can do things. We can partner faster than we could even five years ago. So feel pretty good about it. But, you know, it, um, having been on that side and, you know, literally was the largest channel partner for Microsoft in their business solutions group. And we sold that. I was on that side of the, I know what my economics were. I was extracting economics from customers. In this case, I'm on the other side. So I'm, I'm just saying there's, there's those technology companies have to make money and they get pressure to drive margin and they have to, and it's going to come from somewhere. And you're a defense. I think you're defensive, defenseless if you don't have a certain degree of ability to, to buy, to credibly build something, partner from a position of strength. And the only way you can do that is because you always, you always have the ability to build. Okay. But Dan, I'm going to jump in here on you. Yeah. Because um, I think here's, I love what you said, but this is supposed to be kind of, what did you call this? Tracy, this is tech wars. Tech wars. <laughs> tech wars. Like the audience needs something here. I loved all that you just said, because I think for a lot of people that don't understand technology, you proved exactly why many of them shouldn't get into the technology business because it's complex and you confuse the heck out of a lot of people. I think <laughs> the reality is agents have to look at it this way. Tech is hard. It's hard to change. It's hard to adapt. It's mm -hmm. hard to learn. But ultimately, it's to make them more efficient. And I think that people should be cautious about what is a tool and what is a toy. And let me give you a great example. When you talk about market caps and billions of dollars, I think over half of it is toys. And it's not really great tech that really provides an agent a closing or transaction-ready consumer. And what I mean by that, do you remember the first iPad you ever opened? It's like, uh, Merry Christmas, you open the one under the tree. Uh, I carried that plus my laptop plus my phone. And all it was was a bigger screen to watch movies on the airplane. It really didn't have great functionality. It was, an, it was a toy uh, for a business person. Now look at how that's adapted and grown. But it's interesting that you mentioned leads. I also have uh, a theory. You look at just 10, 12 years ago, there were 4.5 million residential transaction sites done in the United States. There were 4.6 million online real estate leads generated. 10 years later, we had about 5 million transactions last year. We had over 250 million leads, nearly 300 million leads that are created. I don't believe that agents want more leads. I believe that agents want more transaction-ready consumers because at the heels of what you mentioned, them spending, they're having to spend a ton of time and money on tech to figure out, of these 250, 300 million leads that are up there, who really is a buyer or seller? And I think that they want tools that you can put in their hand to say, what is happening today to meet consumers where they want to be met that serves up to someone that says, hey, I want to buy a house or sell a house. And it needs to be that simple for the agents. And when you look at uh, dramatically AI, I mean, I, he I heard someone the other day and I agree 100%. We think that there's all kinds of new tech every year and there's really not. It's only about once every 15 to 20 years, a major technology innovation comes to market. These little things that we carry around, they're just about 15, 18 years old that we've been carrying them. And so Nick, what was the last technology innovation that hit? I think the new one of today is yeah. AI, right? We have schools blocking it. I, I disagree, uh, by the way. I, I disagree. I think it's going to change <laughs> a lot of that behavior. But that's an example of when you have tech companies 
that can be nimble. And as these things start to change, I don't want to build my own mobile device, um, just like I don't want to build my own AI company. But I certainly believe that you fast forward, you're going to have click here to write a listing description that will be integrated via um, AI. And let's face it, not sexy, but the number one technology that has made the consumer experience better and the agents more efficient in the last 10 years. What do you think it is? You hit us. What do you think it is? <laughs> this is a test. <laughs> E-signature. Yeah. That truly has revolutionized the agent's business. I don't have to drive 45 minutes to get a price change signed. The consumers have a lot easier. And that's an example of how I started with tech versus toy. I think that we have mm -hmm. to also look through the lens of, does this help an agent uh, be more efficient? And does it help a consumer have a better experience? And if it doesn't kind of check one of those two boxes, it could be a toy. And I think that's where a lot of brokerages spend a lot of time and money. I think you would be surprised at the number of smaller brokerages or brokers who are building um, technology as well. I, I've interviewed quite a few of them. Mainframe is one that comes to mind in Florida, who ironically built a whole e-signature platform. And, you know, he said, I realize that's the one thing that everybody says, don't bother, don't spend your money building an e-signature, but it worked for his company. Um, you know, so, and, and as far as the audience, I think it's really a mix, but it's a lot of the 500, um, top brokerages in the country. So, in, and, um, you had said, Dan, that you disagreed with AI. So what do you think is the biggest tech uh, innovation? No, I think the, the one that's look, I, you know, I now part of, in 1999, you know, it was the internet, right? The advent of the internet. That was a big deal. You know, bringing, bringing models online, taking them public. That's, I was part of that. Um, and it was huge. You know, people were trying to figure it out. Uh, I personally think that speed to market and the, and part of it is in fact AI powered, but cloud, the cloud is massive and AI is a tool within. We view it, we use it today to augment our listings and we train our data. We're using it today on behalf of our agents. I mean, so it's not like it's in, you know, it's, it's something that we might do or whatever else. We're using it today to enrich our data in our data warehouse that we're ingesting all the MLS data into ours, not paying someone else a huge amount of money. We manage all of that in house because we're large enough to, to justify the fixed cost and the variable cost of doing that. And it's essential to have control over your meta, basically your data queue, your data warehouse, uh, both your agent data warehouse, your listing data warehouse, your solds, et cetera, so that you can do things with it on behalf of the agents at zero cost. So you can pass along. We pass along 96% of the commission to the agent. And the only reason we're able to do that is because of 17 years of deep investment so that we can provide a fulsome kit from local services brokerage to agent ratio um, in each market, physical offices, all of the things of a full service brokerage, uh, quite a few points of substantial differentiation in what we provide, but still pass along 96% of their commission back to them. So the way we got there was deep investments over a decade. And so I think that the AI is is a is hugely impactful, right? And we have yet to start uncovering the speed at which you can write code, the speed at which you can do, you can enhance body copy, you can generate content, 
for a broader outreach as an agent to promote themselves, to say, I'm a great, here's a property that I have. I want to tell the world about it and I can do it in seconds instead of hours of developing collateral material, et cetera. Huge efficiencies coming our way. It's going to be, I'm not suggesting that AI is not critically important, but I think that the way people do things, it, you know, part of this was about technology, right? That was the theme here today, um, is the the way technology is built in web, in, in, uh, web services and cl- the cloud today. If you're in a hybrid environment, an efficient hybrid environment where you have cloud and and classic architecture and infrastructure, IAS, uh, you have a huge advantage in speed to market to integrate, and you have a huge uh, uh, advantage in speed to market to build. So the buy-build partner, I agree with you, Nick, entirely. That is always on the table. That's, that's to use your term, table stakes. Buy-build partner. But you can't partner and you can't buy unless you have done the deep investment in the core stuff fat, as fast as you need to and cost effectively as you need to in order to compete and have an advantaged economic relationship with your brokers and your agents. And I think that's, and you look, we grew 972% since 2018 in agent count. And that growth in large part was because the agents are saying, I want to, I want that kit and I want to have a favorable economic uh, relationship. And I want to keep more of what I earn. The, that growth and the, the, the migration of agents to, towards that, that's only afforded and we're profitable. You know, we're not uh, crazy profitable. We're not, uh, inappropriately profitable, but we're profitable in 22. We're profitable in Q1. And the reason we're able to do that is because of all the efficiencies and the deep investment, many of which we don't even talk about in the, in the public domain because we, we we made those deep investments so that we can pass that economics back to our agents. And it's starting to manifest in an acceleration of migration. That's something key. Sorry, didn't want, but you keep saying cost effective, but then you at the same time say deep investments for 17 years and you hit up something right there. I don't care if you've done. That's right. And that's I what I was saying earlier. Seven months or 17 years building technology requires deep investments. And we have our own data warehouse as well. Uh, and we should talk about that. You mentioned commodities. I believe data is getting to a point that it's commodity. And I believe that the real estate agent, because of their own artificial fears of data, instead of they worried more about where's my data going versus my database. I think that that's an artificial um, hangover that a lot of people still have around data. I did this exercise just yesterday um, with a group I was speaking to um, here at our headquarters and asked for a volunteer from the audience. And I pulled up uh, this app. Have you heard of it, Forewarn? Uh, and all you can do is you enter a cell number. You get their address history back to where they grew up as a kid, um, every car that they've owned. And I started rattling these things off. And I think the sooner people realize, like on the data side, because that really is a big part, as you know, in our business, is is none of the tools work unless the data piece is right. And, and we've been slow. I, I I was at Zillow when Dot Loop was acquired and people said, I will not use it because I don't want Zillow to have my data. And I said, well, wait a minute. Let's talk about data. You have a consumer's name and you might have an email address or phone number. Hopefully both. Um, But the amount of public data that's readily available is it all exists. It reminds me of like when my parents didn't want to do online banking because it would be so insecure. 
and say, hey, mom and dad, do you realize that your bank is already online and your number's out there? You just haven't activated your account. And so we've gotten this artificial fear of data going somewhere. And I don't have that because I believe once you have data, it's what you do with it to produce a transaction-ready consumer, which is to help an agent get a buyer or seller, that that's where it becomes interesting. But we have seen stifled innovation in our industry because of this artificial fear of data. I will say too that, and and I kind of want to talk about that because one of the things we did a, a survey, it's been a couple of years now, but um, asking agents why they're not using their brokerage's tech platform. And at the time it was because I don't want them having keeping all of my data, my database, and I don't want them having my sphere of influence and, and I don't want them owning that. Um, what, you know, what has changed since then? And, and what can you say to really allay their fears? It's kind of what you're talking about, Nick, like, no, I don't, I don't want my brokerage keeping my data. Um, so talk a little bit about that. I'll go with you first. Yeah. Since we were Great question. I think the industry has done a much better job at when you sign up and you look at the terms of use. Most of them will explicitly state that you're utilizing this product, but the information that you put into it is yours. And I encourage brokers to say, it should also say, if you ever depart the company, you can extract that and take it with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just for what it's worth, Nick, I agree. And we, we, our sysadmins can't even get access to the SOI or the sphere of influence in their CRMs. They can't even, they can't even get it. Yeah. I mean, it's that, and we have a third party actually audit it for that purpose to make sure that it's unassailable. Our sysadmins, people that can otherwise navigate the core code and everything else cannot get access to an, an agent's in their CRM leads we've dropped in, right? So we've dropped into their bucket and then they have their own sphere of influence or contacts, et cetera. They can't get access to that. And as far as portability, they have the ability to push a button and port it out if they need. Yeah. And I think that's how most operate today. And that's what I mean by terms of use. I think that agents pause for a minute and look at the terms of use for maybe their broker or their brand uh, or whomever they're utilizing, even in an e-signature scenario. And it'll, likely explicitly say that that's theirs. And so they should feel they should feel good about it. Now, the reality is all of their consumers or their farm area, that is public data. We just don't know exactly what agent has what. So could we go out and market to every single person in the US based on public data? Sure. But this is also a relationship driven business that as a broker, as a brand to leapfrog the agent has a horrible capture rate uh, because the consumer signs up to work with that agent. And, and so that's why that subject, I said, I, I kind of laugh at it a little bit because I know it's real, but at the same time, the way the consumer is so tightly connected to their agent anyway, it's hard to break that relationship. And so I don't think it executes in reality, even if people did have access. And I, I think, I think this is on point, Tracy, but let me, let me share something with your audience. Uh, we have talked to no less than 200 of the market share leading brokers at, to potentially invest directly in them over the last 12 months, 18 months. Okay. These are 250 to 3,500 agent firms and typically independent, right? 
some of them are coming off of franchise agreements with other players and they're within and Nick's like, yeah, they're within that one, that, that one year window where you can actually start having conversations. Are you saying Dan, you're tortiously interfering with? No, <laughs> no, no, that's the first question we asked, man. How much, you, you know, so if you still have a few more years left on your franchise agreement, we can't talk to you, but we've, we, we talked to like, literally we have great folks, um, just a, a real uh, amazing, loving team of business development people that will find who the market share leaders are that are eligible to potentially have a conversation. Many of the bigger brokers are trying to solve this problem, Tracy, that this is why this conversation is so germane. They like, I've got this unbelievable SSO dashboard. I've got 15 different vendors. The costs are getting away from me. I have to plug in it out, plug it up. So the economics, and they're actually, many of them were considering and were perfectly like Philip Cantrell, in Nashville, you know, number one market share, uh, in venerable, smart as hell. And he's like, well, I might go, I might just start my own franchise system and go sub-regional or national. And by the way, Philip Cantrell is bright enough and definitely has the chops to do it. And he's like, one of the things that I had a hard time scaling with is what am I going to do with tech? Because it's getting away from me. I'm paying this vendor and that vendor and this vendor. And then this one hacks me off and their product roadmap they won't take any suggestions from me about what feature functionality I need in order to run my business and be able to adapt to market conditions, change certain things. And he's like, I'm, I'm stuck, you know, I'm stuck. So those conversations are actually reinforcing our decision that we have to have the flexibility to quickly and cost effectively, and then have the leverage to negotiate fairly with certain vendors when they built something that's really just killer. Right? Can we get it in a in a one check that we can write and give it to our agents for free? Th- tens of thousands of them, and so even Philip or whether it's Eric Pearson in Virginia, et cetera, these are market share leading companies that have come on board with United. One of the reasons they did is because we exposed our product roadmap and the advantages of that, and what we have today, and what cost they could reduce in their business, and we were thoughtful about it. And that's one of the reasons they're doing it because of exactly what you're asking us here today, Tracy, those costs and they're never ending and the time and energy to kind of get your product roadmap, even if you're doing an SSO third party is never ending. So we kind of deburden those brokers so they can focus on the agent and the training education development and building their business and their, their SOI business and their portal business or whatever their strategies are at the agent level so they can have a better outcome. You know, we're trying to deburden it. And I think that's really the question for the big players. You know, the Anywhere brands, us, uh, obviously, we're we're one-fourth the size of Remax. Uh, may, maybe not even one-fourth the size of Remax, okay, just to be clear. We're growing fa- super fast, but, uh, you know, we are, we are more – we're newer on the scene on a national level as far as scale, but we're climbing fast. I will tell you that I think that – we're solving a fundamental problem for these these market share leading brokerages that are independents that are struggling with the very question you're asking here today. That's part of our value prop to them is saying, hey, we might not be perfect today, but we've we're directionally correct and we're going to continue to do that. And we'll put a dollar in the bucket. Uh, we'll you know you you contribute a bit to it, and we'll we'll give ten thousand, twenty thousand people. We have twenty two thousand folks now this for nothing. You know, our goal is to tr- truly have a tech stack for the agent that costs them nothing. 
you know, but it can't cost nothing because you still have research and development. Don't you still, I mean, you still have to keep up with the changing technology and pay for that. No doubt. Correct? Yes, but it costs them nothing. Okay. The key is the agent economics. So the agents don't get told, you know, Hey, you're going to pay me $500 a tech fee you know, a year. And we have two different businesses that we run. We have 450 offices in the rural space. And they contribute directly to the tech on a per office basis. On the other side, all of the technology is provided to the agents, complimentary. I mean, all of it, the core CRM, the, the TED, the training education development program, the LMS program, the marketing hub, the websites, the S, you know, all of that functionality is provided to the agents. Now, if they want to augment it because they have a certain bit of, they can, but I'm, I'm telling you, we we're, we're able to do So Tracy, yes, there's a huge cost to us. But we made that commitment and we can afford to do it. And we've now that we've gotten to scale, uh, our unit ec- economics are favorable or, or adequate and fair. And theirs are, are superior. You know, so that's what we're after is, is a superior outcome for the agent from an economic perspective. And we're willing to make those big investments on their behalf. And if, you know, if we make a bad investment, we'll eat it. You know, so I don't know. It's. Oh, 10 years from now, we'll figure out who was right. <laughs> Nick, what say you? <laughs> well, that's what I, I th- love about this discussion is I'm not here to say one way is the only way uh, because there's a lot of room in the industry. But, you know, going back to the, the initial question, Tracy, and kind of some of my final thoughts are, I think brokers have to just look very carefully at what business that they're in. And the ones that I've seen do it well, and if they have a technology arm and they truly want to be a technology company, it does take investment. And it takes, you talked about deep investment and time to get to scale. It costs a lot. It's money and energy. And if you're prepared to do that, have the money to do it, you can do it. I'm not saying that you cannot. Um, I'm just saying that also some of the reasons that I've seen it not be successful for brands and brokerages is A, They may have figured out that they're not a technology company, but their pride got in the way of saying, this isn't working for our membership. And I firsthand see that, have seen that many times. And so I I think that anyone kind of listening to this, my advice is just look at your business, decide what business you're in. And it is a buy, build, partner scenario. What what things are table stakes that you don't have to reinvent? Uh, scale, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. Like we offer all of ours, U.S. and Canada. You know, we launched ninety thousand agents on our new Max Tech platform in the last five months. It's freed all the agents. We couldn't do that without scale. And so I think we're hitting on something else that's it's becoming more and more difficult for the 20, 30, 40, 50 agent brokerage out there, not affiliated in some way to take advantage of scale because tech, the only thing moving faster than the changes in this real estate market is technology. And those investments will eat those margins that are already slim in brokerage faster than people um, will admit to. And so uh, I just think everyone should look at what options are there. And there have to be pros and cons for each brokerage or brand. Okay, Dan, final thoughts from from you. Yeah, uh, final thoughts is I think 10 years from now, there will, it'll either be one of the existing players, you know, either one of the two of us or some uh, newcomer. But but the the point of competition is who can provide a comprehensive kit of uh, training, education, development, uh, coaching, 
uh, financial advisory services, the holistic offering to an agent, and then at the most uh, cost-effective, with the most cost-effective delivery system. And I think it does take scale to do that. So there's going to be someone that emerges that has committed deeply to that uh, the unit economics or the the outcome of the agent so that the agent can can have a great outcome, you know, changing the trajectories and in, in the lives of agents, because we fundamentally believe, and I think Nick does as well, that that the portals are awesome from the consumer perspective. And we don't fight the portals. We actually appreciate what they're doing, you know, Zillow, Realtor, et cetera. We have to learn how to work with them and our agents have to learn how to work with them. And we're, you know, partnering where appropriate. Okay. But still a massive portion of this business is SOI and it's going to be, it's a human, human experience, right. To transact a a real estate. I think that the, the larger organizations have to figure out and are figuring out how to deliver a comprehensive basket of services and support to each agent, to each cohort, each subgroup of agent in a way that they can digest it, use it, and get a great outcome. And technology is a part of that, but it's a lot of human capital as well. And so I think that it's really exciting over the next 10 years. I think it's going to be great. It's already been exciting you know, for the last, for the last 10 years, all the changes. But I think technology companies have, have got to have a solution here because outsourcing it, in my opinion, especially the larger players to a third party or being dependent on them is makes you dependent and you can't move. You can't, you're not as nimble as you need to be in a very fast moving market where think dynamics are changing. You know, the technology is moving very fast, AI, et cetera. I think you have to be on your toes and you have to be able to move quickly. And I think by having your core technology offering be proprietary, um, is it's a huge advantage on the cost side and it's a huge advantage on the offering side. And, you know, that's the direction we're going. So. All right. I was going to end with that. Nick, do you want to, do you want to say anything else? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, the beauty of this is that honestly, technology is not the only thing that drives agents to a brokerage as well. So that's right. Um, you know, it's actually it's probably, the fourth most important. Right. I, I just spent 450 grand to answer a question. I kind of already knew with a third party. And it is the fourth most important thing on an agent's list. Forget what the reports that come out of NAR or whatever else you read. We hired an independent white shoe firm to come in and do a primary data uh, analysis in the space. And it was about culture. And it was about, do I trust? Do I love the broker? Do I love the feel of it? You know, and compensation plan was one of them. And technology was fourth, fifth, depending on what question was asked. So it's, it's not the most important, but it is important. Absolutely. And um, that that's what I started the conversation with. It's like business models. Um, there, There isn't, I mean, you both probably feel like yours is the best, but there's room in this space for everyone. And um, I think that we had calculated the top 500 brokers only had 27% of market share. So there's room in, in this um, vast industry for for everyone and to move. So um, thanks so much for, for joining the Real Trending Podcast. I really appreciate all the insight that you um, both offered. And I think that brokers will get a lot out of it as well. Right on. Thanks for having us. I hope so, Casey. Great being with you. Dan, fun to give each other a hard time. Um, <laughs> much love. I much love, you. my man. I, I respect Dan and his business very, very much. And that's probably the best part of this industry, right? Right. We all have different ways of, of getting there, um, but that's 
Uh, that's what I love about this business. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. And we will see you next week with more news and insights.